This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab. Woo! For Saturday, July 24th, 2000. And... Oh, 2021. Holy crap. <laughs> oh. This is the most exciting introduction ever. Oh, that is awesome. I was going to go ahead and just ask, how was your week? But uh, I want to explain what's up with all the hoops and the hollers. Oh, man. I'm guessing you're not merely excited to be back after uh, hiatus. No, I'm not merely excited. I am excited. Don't get me wrong, folks. I do not wish... To deny the level of sheer excitement in my heart. No, I do not wish to deny that. But that is not the source of the whoops and hollers. I, uh, before the show came on, I was getting stuff ready and I was busy as a beaver and finally got my tablet set up and finally got my phone set up. I'm ready to go because I'm away from home and I don't have access to my computer, so I'm ready to go. I uh, took all the time I needed to get my, make sure my stuff was charged yesterday. I, I, I started getting ready for the show fully 24 hours before we go on the air. I wasn't even sure we were going to have a show today because my fellow host has been off on vacation in Troma State on the West Coast, otherwise known as New Jersey. So I wasn't even sure we were going to have a show today. Because I didn't know if he had made it back from the toxic waste capital of North America. But he did. And we were having a show. And I was excited. But as soon as I jumped into the studio to get ready for the show... I was hit with this wave of fatigue that nearly overwhelmed me. And I was like, what the heck happened? I was slowed down. My thoughts were slow. And I was like, I'm never going to do a show like this. I'm going to be slow. I'm going to be... It's going to be like trying to put thoughts out on the air instead of having my lightning fast brain spitting them out like a Maxim gun at 660 thoughts a second, I'm gonna be like mining them from a titanium mine, digging them out one thought per hour, and that's just gonna suck. So I thought that what I ought to do is like pep myself up, is like speed myself up so that I could give you, our awesome audience, the best show possible, the absolutely best show possible. So what I decided to do was to pep myself up by taking one single solitary package of Del Taco Inferno sauce and just 
dumping that some bitch right on my tongue. <laughs> Boom. And so I am telling you, by the way, that's good stuff. I like it. I'll tell you why I'm into hot sauce right on my tongue in just a sec. But I dumped that right on my tongue right before the show went live. And it caused me genuine pain. So that when the show started, I could not help but with the whoops and the hollers. So, uh, man alive, am I excited to be on the air. And apparently, that worked. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy, yeah. Four alarm fire right in your face. This, I hope everybody listening appreciates the physical pain Daddy Warpick is willing and able to go through to join us today. Actual physical pain, and it's awesome. Oh, it's so awesome. I love it. So let me tell you what happened. I got sick uh, almost two years ago now. And I didn't used to like super hot things. I used to like hot things, you know, salsa, solid salsa, your medium salsas and, and hot sauces and stuff. Go to Del Taco, go to Taco Bell, go to, you know, Alberto's or Beto's or some other Mexican restaurant and enjoy some solid heat. Well, I got so ill with the liver thing that I couldn't eat hot sauce anymore. I couldn't eat sauce anymore. I was literally forbidden by doctors from eating hot stuff because it would send me into intestinal distress for upwards of 12 hours. Uh, I would be nailed to the porcelain throne. Um, and did you know that Papa John's nacho sauce actually has some uh, hot sauce in it. it I didn't. That, that must be why it's their best sauce. It has, uh, I think, red pepper powder in it. You can't, I can't eat it. Couldn't eat it anymore. In fact, that's the first thing that led me to discover something was going wrong in my digestive tract was, was that nacho sauce. And it just continued to get worse. I used to love putting red peppers. You know those packets of dried red peppers? I'd love to put sure. that on my pizza. Couldn't do that anymore. So I had to cut out everything even slightly warm. My family loved making uh, peppers. Uh, stuffed stuffed peppers. peppers? Yeah, stuffed peppers, which is basically just meatloaf cooked inside green pepper. And green peppers are not hot. They're basically a tiny bit of spice and a whole bunch of water. But I couldn't eat green peppers anymore. I couldn't even eat stuffed pepper. You cook that meatloaf in the stuffed pepper, it would leave just barely enough teeny tiny bit of spice to send me to the porcelain throne for 12 hours. 12 hours. Harsh. I don't know if you know what that's like but it's not fun. So two years, 
I was deprived of salsa, which means I was deprived of chips and salsa, which I love. That was a staple food in my diet. I, I missed chips and salsa. You, you could not believe how much I missed chips and salsa. Well, in the last three months, my liver thing has finally cleared up. Finally cleared up enough that I can start eating salsa again. And not just salsa, like super hot salsa. So having been deprived of hot foods for so long, I now find myself with an unquenchable taste for stuff that is far hotter than anything I ever, ever wanted or had the taste for before. I mean, stuff that causes genuine, actual pain in my mouth. I don't just put it on tacos and burritos and, and nachos. I've got this taste for it where I just, I take packages of this hot sauce and just pour it on my tongue and let myself bathe in the pain. I just It just kicks me right in the teeth and I love it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you the best possible salsa con queso. I've got a ghost pepper queso dip that I use for nachos, and it's amazing. It will blow your face off. <laughs> so that's what two years of deprivation have done to me. If they, have, they have tuned my senses up to the point where I cannot stand not eating super hot stuff, the hottest stuff I can get a hold of right now. I don't even eat mild anymore. I don't even order the mild sauce anymore. I just go right for uh, right for the hottest stuff they have. Love uh, it. And I love it. So that's what today was all about is I wanted to wake up, and so I dumped pure pain in my mouth. <laughs> pure pain. I should try that to get up in the morning. It was great. Oh, you know, sometimes I actually find myself tearing up with this. It's awesome when you're welling up from the pain. Man, it's an experience I've never had before with Mexican food, and it's just great. You know, what's even better is I'm under orders to eat like three ounces by volume of protein every single meal. And if you order from Del Taco, they have this macho combo burrito. And I don't even have to eat the whole thing to get three ounces of, of protein because it's this huge burrito that's mostly hamburger. It's like, and the, the other half is beans, refried beans. And then it has like this smidgen of lettuce and tomato and cheese. And of course the cheese is also protein. So it's like this big solid slug of protein I can get all the protein I need uh, by eating like a third of that in one meal. Wow. Then I just wrap the rest of it up and save it for later. Uh, awesome. All this protein, and then it's got all the hurdy hot sauce on it. And it's like, 
uh, everything I need right there. And it's great tasting stuff, too. So, Dornall, how was your week? Dude, I had a great week. It's funny, yeah. I went... I went on vacation Troma to New State. Jersey. Troma State, the toxic waste capital of the world. Uh, what can I say? Uh, New Jersey is not Washington, but I had a great time and I got to see my family, but there's a little bit of a downside. See, when I, I booked the trip, I, I had no idea. And I don't think anybody exactly knew that a hurricane was going to come through. So I was expecting, you know, a, muggy northeastern kind of summer and uh, i spent the whole week in extremely high heat and humidity mixed in with thunderstorms as the remnants of tropical storm elsa swept through the area so um in fact this is the best part it caused so much trouble the weather did that many planes were down and diverted on the weekend i was to head back so I got an extra two days in Jersey for free. So you were expecting Jenny, the garden state, and what you got was Ilza, she-wolf of Yessa. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's all right. I'm not going to complain about extra time with my family, but it was rather inconvenient. That's okay. So this was with the family, not the SO. That's right. Uh, the, well, the SO, the SO came along for a visit. Ah. Because I um, thought it was the other way around. And no, admittedly, it, this was just me thinking stuff out, because I didn't know your family's in New Jersey. I thought they were in Connecticut. Most of them are. I, I also took a road trip to Connecticut while I was there. Uh, so well, it, was, it was a good time. Yeah. My brain, a, my brain had just somehow interpreted this thinking Connecticut as a visit to the SO's uh, relations. Reasonable, reasonable. No, uh, she just came out, came out for the visit. So, uh, and that all went way better than uh, I could have hoped for. It was a really good time. Also got some reading in, um, plugging, Plugging a friend's book, I, I reread all of the Combat Frame X Seedbacker short stories from Classified Intel. Um, have you seen that one yet? I have. Yeah, that's uh, Brian Niemeyer put all of his backer short stories in a collection and posted them for everybody to read, and I recommend it. Especially if you're not a backer and if you've read any of the other books, it's sort of... Uh, as he puts it, it's connective tissue between all the stories. So in all that journeying time on the East Coast, did you see anything new? Or did you uh, avoid movies like The Plague? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, yeah, I sat and uh, in some of my downtime watched this new Marvel Disney show. You might have heard of it called Loki. Oh, I, I was going to tell you. What? I saw The Quiet Place 2 last night. Oh, I'll have to get your thoughts on that. What did you think? I quite enjoyed it. 
It was. Oh, I knew you would. It was in the same spirit as Quiet Place One. It was not. I mean, you know how they do sequels. Sometimes sequels diverge so much from the original that it's like you're not even watching something that has any relationship to the original movie. Now, mm -hmm. James Cameron can do that and come off with absolute genius movies like Aliens and Terminator 2. But most right. people who do that come out with crap. But this movie, it, it's, it just seems like they just continued the first movie, um, which is good because the first movie was awesome. And I really, really like this movie. I don't have any major uh, complaints with it at all. Um, dang it, I just forgot his name, but the... Uh, Main actor who was, you know, Scarecrow in uh, Batman. Cillian Begins. Murphy. Cillian Murphy, so good, uh, so so good. Yeah, the the thankless job of being the replacement for the dad because they wanted to tell another story, and they needed another dad to do heroic things and sacrifice himself. Yeah, it's just. Just a great, just a great show. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Cillian Murphy did it. Murphy did a killer job. Um, and you know the two child actors they had, uh, both of them did a killer job. Yeah. Uh, Emily Blunt, of course, did a killer job. It just. I was going to say, there was nothing wrong with the movie that stood out, and it was a great movie. Uh, I also saw some interesting stuff this week in the uh, in gaming news, sort of the eye-rolling Wizards of the Coast stories. Have you uh, have you heard about the new shenanigans coming out of uh, Seattle these days? Regarding Dungeons and Dragons, I forgive me. I I, 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 there, I think there's an emergency <laughs> down the road. If you guys can hear sirens, that's I have no idea what's going on. Three alarm fire apparently. It's not me. I'm not on fire. Don't worry about it. So anyway, yes, I I was gonna I was gonna mention. I picked up on that. I caught up on my gaming news this week after vacation, and uh, eye rolls commenced. Yeah, I got two I, main. I got I got two main things that came up. Did you read? Uh, did you hear about Strixhaven? Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm so pissed. <laughs> and, and it's gonna. I know. I know. There's a lot of people out there who are, who are gonna go saying, you know, especially in our audience, a lot of people out there are gonna go saying, you know, death cult IP dead. Let it go. Yada yada yada. But I'm still. I I am offended. I am offended as a creator that you could take with your goal, you set out to take Magic the Gathering and meld it with D&D. And what you come up with is 
trans species college gay Harry Potter. <laughs> That's right. One of the biggest influences on gaming and popular, you know, examples of pop art in start sorry, starting in the mid nineties, Magic the Gathering. Absolute treasure trove of IP. And Strixhaven is basically a magical college modeled after Hogwarts. Including uh, and according I love the title of this Polygon article. Uh, it has mechanics for what a hot mess college life can be. <laughs> That's it. That's all the creative minds that Wizards of the Coast could come up with. With this this rich, rich backstory. They had to import their favorite parts of the only story they've read into it. Let's see. I just... I'm, I want to I read this. Based on Magic the Gathering set Strixhaven School of Mages, Strixhaven, a curriculum of cast, is set at a school of wizardry that owes a fair bit to the Harry Potter series signature school, Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. <laughs> no, no, wow. That's just a lie. It doesn't owe a fair bit to it. It owes everything to it. <laughs> um, and, and so what I'm angry about is not, oh, no, they're running the fifth edition. I'm not even really super angry about the woke stuff. I mean, it's obnoxious and vomitous and but it's D and D in this year uh and you've got to expect that because that's who you know Seattle and Wizards of the Coast have become that's who they are I don't think there's anybody working for the company anymore who's not either woke or playing woke just to keep their jobs. Um, and that just is. It is what it is. You, you can't escape it. So you just have to put up with it. Um, so it, you just have to accept that that's the way it is. So I'm not upset with that even any more than I normally am. It's that they took such cool ideas and they flushed them all away. Now I'm not super into Magic the Gathering's individual sets as, you know, as a story, okay, here's the artifacts set where you have two brothers, uh, I think it was Urza and Mishra, and they made all these bunches of artifacts and they had a war because they were, you know, pissed at each other. Well, that's great. You know, interesting mechanics for 
people playing the game, interesting uh, cards, with interesting flavor text, and cool artwork. What's uh, What was interesting to me was the notion that you had this world that was basically thousands or tens of thousands of pocket planes that you could journey between with different biomes and different monsters and different creatures and you could adventure among them that's a different and cool setup for D&D where basically the whole campaign world itself is a dungeon right one big mega dungeon Okay. I thought that's interesting. You could work that into an adventuring session, and the monsters are cool, and you know that they're cool because I've seen the cards, and they're cool. They're interesting. They're different from normal D&D monsters, and you can have a lot of cool things there. And you don't even have to include the planewalkers or maybe – Becoming a plane walker is the eventual goal of the campaign, right? Um, sure, could be. I mean, suffice it to say, I don't it's, know, there's it's just a, so much stuff. It's you... it's a good good stuff that you could create a game or a game setting out of. I mean, it came originally from a game, so it, right. I mean, it didn't have to make sense any other way. And you could have done something cool with it. You had all this work going back 25 years, right? For maybe 26, 27, whatever. And given all this stuff, all this imagination from all these other people poured into it, this rich source of interesting things you could have uh tapped into joke not you know pun not intended um this is what you come up with prom seriously mechanics yeah. for taking finals I'm not sure what type of game they're playing anymore. This is um, as far as your imagination can stretch. It's appalling. It's pathetic. Let's see. I don't know I don't know what it is that makes them do this but um this I want to talk about the art for a, a second this is uh, I've got a photo of the, <laughs> the hilarious college prom uh illustration 
Um, it's got magical sparkles and stuff everywhere. It looks like it's absolutely designed just to stick in the craw of their uh, imagined foes. Um, you know, completely woke with a, you know, lesbian tieflings and uh, the mixed race guys in the center. But it's also the the D and D fifth edition art house stuff. It's weird. I, I don't know. I'm not an artist. Are these pastels or something? Um, uh, all the art sort of looks the same, and as opposed to, if you recall back in Magic: The Gathering, one of the biggest things about it was how interesting the art was. There's a whole community of artists from the West Coast, uh, quite a few of them up here in the Seattle area, and when they were doing art for Magic: The Gathering, they just bring in all these people will be like, I, whatever your style is, we're going to pay for it. And you know, you're going to do a minotaur, right? We don't, and then wizards of the coast years ago, um, transitioned to a house style so that the art would be a lot more consistent. Sometimes it makes for pretty cards and posters, but, um, it leached all the wonder and personality out of the game. It, it, they thought to create a, a, consistent brand a, a consistent personality and and what it and, and a consistent character it just instead it leached all life out of it now it just it's an android um uh and and it's not even that great um i'm gonna point out like where where's this where's the rest of this guy's book this elf's book um i don't know is it sticking in his hip bone i don't what's going on here um flat hands Oh, I forgot to I forgot to paint the tiefling's hands. I'm gonna. This isn't really that fair to the artist. He's kind of stuck with this house style, but still. Uh yeah. As and the subject, of course, like I said before, just keyed in. Uh, to stick in the craw of their uh, supposed enemies. Um, I want to go to the chat real quick because because they've livened up. I appreciate everybody hanging out and listening. Um. Yeah, Judd, Quentin Hoover, speaking of the old Wizards of the Coast, sort of West Coast artist crew, Quentin Hoover, um, the late great colored pencil artist, one of the best. He did Meek Stone. Um, what else did he do? Meek Stone was my favorite. He also did a ton of great vampire cards. Um, Ardenon Studios, welcome to the chat. Once again, Cal Arts is cancer. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I would go so far as to say just house styles are cancer. Um, think of movies. Think of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They went in on a house style. They don't care who's directing the film. You're going to do these films a certain way, right? And it worked for them. Uh, they already had colorful characters and good actors to play them. Um, this is just... I don't. I don't know what this is supposed to be. Um, I tell you when a house style works. When you have one artist doing all your illustrations, like Tony D. Terlizzi did all the illustrations for Planescape, so they were all done in his style. That worked. Braum did all the illustrations for Dark Sun, so they were all mm -hmm. done in his style. That worked. Larry Elmore did all the illustrations for Dungeons and Dragons, the original BECMI box sets. Um, that worked. Um, 
trying to force artists to alter their style to fit with something that doesn't seem to work all the time or at all. But when you have one artist who's capable of doing a consistent, uh, awesome output and he's good enough um, to be able to depend upon, that works. Um, so, but that doesn't seem, I mean, that you, you can't do that for magic. There's just too many pieces of art for each set. And, and I, I don't think the D&D... Uh, more to the point, uh, business-wise, you don't need to spend RK Post money. You don't need to spend Tim Bradstreet money anymore. You don't need to hire Anson Maddox. Get a house style. Get competent artists who only cost a third as much. I've got the Wizards D&D page Dude, if I open. Could hire it. Tim Bradstreet. <laughs> That's a great idea. I should have him. Uh, I should send Tim Bradstreet a check and a couple of photos of myself and get some get myself Tim Bradstreetified. He was but, uh, he was the king of role playing art in the nineties. He was just better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he owned World of Darkness. Every uh, every World of Darkness bloom blew up. Yeah, <laughs> his, says his get pieces, on. Heck yeah. <laughs> his pieces for Shadowrun were incomparable. Uh, he did some work for Torg. It was beautiful stuff. He was the best artist Torg ever hired. Um, damn. Tim Bradstreet. Props. Mad props to the master. So what was the other thing Watsy did this week that ticked you off? <laughs> Tick me off is a strong word, but I ran into an interesting article on uh, Jeremy Crawford, the head designer of D&D, answered some interesting question. Now, he's the rules designer. Okay, he's the rules guy. Um, anybody who has any questions about corner cases or weird D&D rules, you can go... Hit, his, hit up his Twitter, and if he hasn't answered it already, you can ask him a question, and he'll let you know. Um, I bet Sean Punch was better. Oh, yeah. But uh, someone was asking him about canon in Dungeons & Dragons, talking about all the novels and video games, all the spin-off properties. Okay. Um, this is in some sort of media event, but let me just read what he says, uh, because I think, I, I think it's a, he's had a reasonable answer to the question, but there's, uh, there's something subtle about the second part that, uh, careful listeners might pick up on. Um, he says for many years, we in the Dungeons and Dragons RPG studio have considered things like D and D novels video games, comic books, as wonderful expressions of D&T storytelling and D&D lore, but they are not canonical for the D&D role-playing game. Part of that is we don't want DMs to feel that in order to run the game, they need to read a certain set of novels. We want you to read the, them for the joy of reading them, but not as homework. So, not actually, in my opinion, that's not a controversial opinion. 
these are uh, his example was that he he started playing D and D uh, in Dragonlance, and of course Dragonlance is uh, famous and infamous. Uh, Dragonlance had a great bunch of novels by R. A. Salvatore, but infamous because if you follow the events of the novels, it makes the game world unplayable. But I think it's a reasonable reaction or a reasonable explanation because. Um, there's a difference between the rule set in the game and the world implied by those rules. And this is where new players, new players don't get it. Um, people who only know new D and D, um, they just want to change the rules and tell whatever story they want. Of course, the rules imply a particular type of world, but not a specific world. Um, and that, so that's fine. It's fine to say, hey. You know, enjoy those novels all you like, but you don't need none of this stuff matters if you want to play in whatever fantasy world you want. Like, if you want to use one of our fantasy worlds, cool. Like, Dritzt is there, but you know what happens? That's up to you. That's fine, and I appreciate that. Let me find the other part that's really interesting. Now, someone apparently asked, "Okay, so what is canon in the D and D world?" This. This is the interesting part. If you're looking for what's official in the D&D role-playing game, it's what appears in the products for the role-playing game, Croft said. Basically, our stance is that if it has not appeared in a book since 2014, and that's the year that 5th edition came out, we don't consider it canonical for the games. So in one breath, he says, there's no such thing as canon that doesn't make sense. And then in the next breath, he sort of walks that back and says, oh, actually, none of that stuff exists because it's we're all of our stuff is canon. It's year zero. So if you read if you read the if you read part of the story, you say, yeah, of course, that makes sense. Um, uh, RPG shouldn't have canon. Yeah, I like what you're saying, Judd. That's the table. Pulling that it was wrong then and crud. Yeah, you can look at it, it, it that way. It was uh, I I read it more like I read it more as hey, our RPG shouldn't have canon and and like the Wizards of the Coast guy whispered in his ear. Pss, 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 pss. Oh yeah, but our stuff is canon, so keep buying our books, right? The whole story is um, it's their skin suit and they're going to wear it. Um, and if, uh, yes, uh, yeah, Artnon says there's a suit behind him with a gun in his back at the second statement. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So, here's the problem with this, starting at the top. He conflates two things in the first sentence and i don't i haven't seen anyone else pick those apart yet and point out that they make absolutely no sense no sense together and what he basically has done in the very first sentence is say apples are red and juicy which is why you have to make sure to add enough oil to your engine 
that makes no sense because those two thoughts are not connected at all. They have no bearing on each other. They may be correct by themselves, but they're not linked causally, right? Just because apples are red and juicy does not mean you need to keep, it's not what causes you to need to keep oil in your engine. He okay, says that Watsi is not going to keep novels, consider it canon, when Watsi itself creates new game products. So Watsi, when it publishes a new novel today that is official Dark Sun, Dragonlance, Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk. It is not considered canon. It is not considered to actually exist in Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms or Dark Sun. And the reason why it doesn't exist is so that game masters don't have to consider it canon at the table. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You write a novel, and we'll just take a putative, you know, cyberpunk game. You're writing an official novel in your official cyberpunk game, at the end of which New York gets blown up by a nuclear bomb, and the major villain corporation in your setting gets destroyed. And for all the novels going forward, that villain corporation in your official setting is going to be destroyed. And it's an official novel published by you with your game's logo on it, talking about characters, the NPCs, Johnny Silverhand, let's say. And everything else from your setting. But over in your game, when you issue the next yearbook, talking about new tech and new things, you publish a module where New York's just fine and dandy. And that corporation is still up and running. And... All of the NPCs who died in the novel are still alive. Does that make any sense? No, that makes no sense. If you have a developing setting, then whatever develops in your setting via novels or via game books or via modules or whatever you ought to have some standard for what matters and especially in instances like that novel where you blew up new york in future game products new york should be blown up um in fact that should be a big change in your game world, in future game products, this huge mega corporation, the biggest corporation in your world, 
has fallen and you know the board of directors is gone uh subsidiaries of it are going to war to see who can grab the most from it and other corporations are coming in new york city is gone there's a nuclear blast zone fallout is spreading across the northern atlantic um all sorts of things are happening. That's actually a big event that you want repercussions from. You want to build that into your game world. That's why you have something like that happen. But all you have to do to say to game masters, none of these events happen in your game unless you want them to, is just say to game masters, none of the events happen in your game unless you want them to, Period. You don't have to create this bifurcated setting where you have two settings now to keep track of. One setting in which New York didn't blow up and a completely different setting in which New York did blow up that only applies for your novels and maybe some of them and not all of them, but doesn't apply to your game setting. I mean, how stupid is that? Now you have two continuities to pay attention to or now you have maybe more are you going to have two lines of novels now one where new york blew up and one where it didn't and now you have two lines of novels or did that novel just not make just not happen and you're never going to write any more novels in it so the entire thing was pointless Game companies need to make sure they're not spitting in the faces of their audience because as soon as you start making series of novels that were pointless, that didn't happen, your audience is going to be pissed. They're going to stop buying novels because your novels are all of a sudden going to be meaningless. They have no impact on the world going forward. Therefore, Nothing that happens in them matters, and they're not going to buy your novels. It's just dumb. His reasoning in that first sentence is dumb. You don't need to declare all the novels that used to happen, used to have happened. I mean, saying that the three Dragonlance novels that launched Dragonlance never happened, and that none of the game products you're making for Dragonlance for 5th edition will take them into account that those characters weren't real? I mean, seriously, saying that Flint and Tannis Half-Elven and uh, that little Kinder and uh, all of the other characters, who I can't remember, I'm sorry, I'm not the biggest Dragonlance fan in the world, um, do they never happen that those characters were never real at the end of the last home that, uh, you know, Caramon and Raceland, none of that ever happened. Never, ever, ever, ever. But the war of the lances and finding the dragon lances to defeat the five armies of, of dragons. None of that ever happened that creating the Draconians, who are still one of the coolest monsters I think D&D has ever come up with. I love them. That's just mega dumb. Mega dumb. 
you're destroying that entire setting. That entire setting is built off of those novels. And yet, in a sense, those novels were completely non-canon anyway, because the modules of the game, the first like 15 novels, or first 15 modules, were those novels, only you were players supposed to play the characters that were in the novels for yourselves. But just declaring that all game products before 5th edition never happened, don't exist, that, that destroys Dragonlance. There is nothing of Dragonlance left after that. Other settings may be a different story, although not with Faerun, not with Forgotten Realms. You've also gutted Forgotten Realms. Um, man, that is... Bad reasoning, bad logic, bad decisions, bad business practices. Yeah. It's short-sighted and foolish. I was just about to say short-sighted. Didn't mean uh, to get this off is, into a rant there. Yeah, you did. Hey, it's this is why you don't ask the lead rules designer, um, a not very popular lead rules designer, his opinions on canon and lore. He should stick to answering questions about why you can't use Eldritch Blast to knock down doors. Uh, yep. But that's why that second part really stuck in my craw, because he follows up the really simple, just to, just to recap, he follows up the really simple, hey, none of this stuff happens in your game world if you don't want it to, with... So that's why we're erasing everything and ignoring all this other stuff that came before. Mm. Yep. So anyway. You know, I, what's happening with D&D is that they're revamping it to be woke. That's what they're doing. They want mm -hmm. to get their grubby little paws on it and remake it in the image of wokeness. Um and the easiest way to do that is because you can't remake it into wokeness if you have to deal with the burden of four editions and all these novels and all these source books and all these modules where things are quite clearly not woke. And then you have to use your imagination to come up with something new to explain why things weren't woke before, but are now, like the time of troubles that marked the switch from first edition to second edition, changed around some gods and had some cool, you know, books where adventures happen to explain the time of troubles and all of that. Um, we're talking time of troubles and forgotten realms, switching first edition to second edition. Um, but they can't do that. They don't have the imagination at uh, Watsi anymore as exemplified by Strixhaven in the first part of the show. And so lacking the imagination, all they could do is burn down everything else except their tiny woke garden they've already been building, and then they're free to do whatever they want. Now, I've heard some people complaining about what just happened with Drow, and I don't know what just happened with Drow. I haven't, I just heard about it like Thursday, and I haven't, had the time since Thursday to look it up, but apparently they just revamped Drow, completely redid their entire culture, 
and uh, it's got a lot of people upset. I assumed it was some wokey thing, uh, but I could be wrong. I might just be jumping the gun there, although I wouldn't bet against myself on that. I, I, do, wise man do you on have Twitter any idea what it said, was? I don't. Sorry, if you're looking for an assist there. Uh, I was looking for an assist there. Um, do we have anybody in the chat knows what happened with the drow? I, uh, no, I, we'll, I we'll honestly, I never, I okay. never paid paid attention to D and D lore, which which is funny. Um, so we uh, we're fifty three minutes in, and 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 you wanted to talk about a couple of shows uh, for the past couple of weeks, and we haven't even yeah, gotten I to them. Mad plans to talk about like four shows. <laughs> Mad crazy plans. Because I also watched Battlestar Galactica, the 2004 Battlestar Galactica. I watched that whole thing in the gap. And I also watched all five seasons of The Expanse in the gap. But no way we're going to get to the last those last two. So let's just hit Loki and uh, The Tomorrow War, both of which are about... Uh, time travel and alternate histories and stuff. So that's kind of a theme. It's a theme. They're both sort of thematically related. You're not saying anything. I don't think he's with us. I think he's internet crapped out. Oh, jeez. Well, anyways, uh, I went and watched The Tomorrow War, and a lot of people didn't like it, but I'm here to tell you, I saw where Critical Drinker said it was fun, and he enjoyed it, and uh, I watched it real soon to when it came out, because uh, on Twitter nowadays, there is no statute of limitations on spoilers. They will start throwing out spoilers absolutely as soon as the show has broadcast or during the show's release. Like they will, as soon as it goes up on streaming, they will start throwing out spoilers. So, oh yeah, there we go. Dornall is gone and he will hopefully shortly be back. So the Tomorrow War, my only, I want to give you a recommend. I liked it. I found it to be enjoyable and interesting and fun. And if you uh, you can go up and say, oh, hey, here's this thing that kind of looks like a plot hole. Um, yes, you can be hyper analytical during the show. And I found myself falling into that. But I just kicked the hyper analysis out. And I had some fun. Um, it's fun. It doesn't push politics. Um, in fact, the only thing that was maybe sort of kind of political wasn't even mentioned as being political. It was kind of obliquely mentioned once in less than 30 seconds, and it wasn't mentioned by its political name, and it wasn't pounded into the audience's head, 
And so in order to be offended by what you would have thought was political, you would have had to look at something, infer that what they were referring to was this political thing, and then be offended because they were might have been obliquely referring to something that could have been a political. And if you're going to that length to be offended by something that may have been left-wing politics, that's on you, not on the movie. That's how far you would have to go to find something political in this movie, I swear to heaven, okay? You hear something happening, you infer that's referring to something else that would have been political, and then you're offended because it may have been obliquely referring to something else that might have been political. That is the literal, actual truth. I am not, I am not exaggerating that in the slightest. So if you're going to those extents to be offended by something, then that's on you. There's no other politics in the entire movie. Um, it's people with scary aliens. Uh, and it's fun. I enjoyed it. That's it. Monsters. Trying to save the world from monsters. Some time travel involved. And if you didn't figure out that a show called The Tomorrow War was about time travel, or if you didn't see... Uh, the trailer where they tell you it's about time travel. Um, sorry, that's not really a spoiler. And like I said anyway, spoilers, there's no spoiler. Statute of limitations in Twitter anymore. Sorry, it just, it's gone. Um, so, yeah, Tomorrow War, liked it, enjoyed it thoroughly. I'd recommend it to people. It's not, you know, don't go in expecting Isaac Asimov. Which, why the hell would you be expecting Isaac Asimov anyway? Nobody wants to expect Isaac Asimov, except for the people who have brainwashed themselves into thinking that Isaac Asimov wrote good stories. Um, which, I mean, he wrote some, but by and large, yeah, it's losers. It was fun. I I think, like, you, I, I had the same reaction that a lot of people in chat did. It's, uh, uh, it's a fun action movie, alien monsters, time travel future soldiers if you really think about everything that goes on you you can roll your eyes the whole time but if you shut off your brain and enjoy it it's it's good fun i liked it um i i'm not even i could list a handful of things that sort of you know popped up as flags in my brain but uh you could do worse for a popcorn flick yeah uh, un unintentional hilarity in uh, some of the casting and intentional awesomeness in the other casting. Um, the J.K. Simmons uh, cameo is always welcome. And then it's uh, the, the writers liked him so much that they just went back to him at the end of the film. I, uh, I watched the first episode of The Stand series on showtime mm -hmm. showtime streaming they have a 30-day free trial and it, and it had a surprise jk simmons cameo awesome it, seriously it was did, the best, best did he demand of pictures of spider-man no <laughs> no but he was the best part of the episode i almost cried i heard the voice and i'm like <laughs> 
is that J.K. Simmons? Awesome. <laughs> and they flipped in, and it were it was J.K. Simmons, and I'm like, oh, that's he just he killed it, man. He killed it. J.K. Simmons cameos, you can't beat them. Except for J.K. Simmons rules. <laughs> uh, it's uh, while we're loving on J.K. Simmons, that reminds me of this great. Uh, show I saw once, not for the content. It was one of those celebrity poker games. Oh yeah, back 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 when poker was everywhere, and it was just get a few celebrities together to play uh, a poker tournament, and whoever wins, you know, donates X amount of dollars to the charity of their choice. So each of them, um, so all the celebrities are all dressed up. They're you know, it's at some casino in Las Vegas, blah blah blah. And you know everybody's sort of dressed nice, not tuxedo nice, but they're like they're they're dressed up. They're they're dressed up for camera. J.K. Simmons, they introduce him, and he comes out wearing like cutoff jean shorts and a t-shirt, <laughs> like total like like he just got out of line at the buffet to come over. Um, and it's just so so different from everybody else. Everyone was kind of shocked, and and they asked him. He's like, "Hey, sorry, um, actually, to be honest, I." I knew we were doing a charity tournament. I didn't realize it was going to be televised, so I'm, dr- I'm not dressed for TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy's awesome. <laughs> hey, uh, so, so, sorry about my technical difficulties. Did I already miss the Loki review? No, no, no. I just I was doing the Tomorrow War. Tomorrow War. Yeah, I liked it. It was fun. Um, yeah, what do you say? Do you Chris Pratt. I mean, that's it. I recommend it. It's yeah, if fun. you already have if you already have Netflix, it's fun enough. If you have to pay for it, don't. That's, oh yeah, that's that, that's my recommendation. Yeah. Oh, Netflix. Yeah. Uh, this is just a quick, quick mini tiny itsy bitsy renew, a uh, review. Netflix has a computer animated resident evil series called resident evil infinite darkness that was made in japan overseen by one of the producers of resident evil games um it is four episodes two hours long um i enjoyed it it was fun um it's it's uh cut above the resident evil animated movies if you've seen those three um but yeah, it was fun. I watched all four episodes in one night because it's basically the length of a movie. Uh, so if you have Netflix, uh, uh, I'd watch it. It's, I mean, it's Resident Evil. It's just like watching a Resident Evil game, nice. and it has Leon and Claire in it. So, including horrible dialogue. No, actually, it it doesn't have bad dialogue. It's got pretty decent dialogue. Oh well, then that uh, that sort of. I'm sure that makes for a better viewing experience, but it, it sort of takes away from the genuine Resident Evil charm. Okay, you got a point there. I mean, that's that's why we love that thing on the PlayStation. Stop. Don't open that door. <laughs> See, I didn't get into Resident Evil until later, and so I was used to better voice acting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Resident Evil 1 in, 1 in particular was terrible. 2 wasn't great. Um, but anyway, they almost made me a Jill sandwich, or whatever that line is. I remember that. That's right. Um, so Loki, a lot of hatred out there for Loki. A lot of hatred in the comments for Loki. Um, 
I didn't hate Loki as much as everybody else did. Strong Actually, I didn't praise. hate Loki at all. No. No. I well, well, let's let's talk about the really, really weird setup of it. Like the the first episode, they have to establish like what this show is gonna be, and it is very kind of dissonant, right? They they want to establish that that Loki is not going to be able to use his superpowers to overcome every, as ill-defined as they are, overcome every obstacle, and they had to set him up with. Uh, with an, a weird setting and some proper antagonists. And also which Loki we're dealing with. Because we're dealing with the villain Loki who's just invaded and tried to destroy New York. Yes. Um, in the in the alternate timeline for the Avengers. I, I really do like this start stepping off point. In the uh, alternate timeline created when the... Avengers try to return the Infinity Stones, and and he grabs the Tesseract and teleports out, um, which was a really funny gag in Avengers Endgame. And uh, hmm, what happens to that guy? So it's not the kind of good guy Loki we see in Endgame itself, who gets killed by Thanos. Um. I loved Owen right. Wilson in this. Yeah, they spared no expense for a six-part, I want to call it a six-part miniseries. Yes. Um, although they really do want to leave it open in case they want to make more. But they uh, they spared no expense. We get a lot of screen time from Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston. I want to describe it a little bit because it is nothing like I expected. Oh, yeah, like 0% like what I expected. Yeah, it wasn't like a fantasy film. It wasn't like a Norse saga. It wasn't even a typical Marvel movie-style comic book story. The Loki enters a world that's a 1984-style Art Deco dystopian nightmare uh, with all the concrete and the pictures of Big Brother and the weird, you know, sort of, the futuristic sort of turn of the century, or mid-century American art and style. Um, and it's, it, it, he's dealing with this giant, like, multi multiversal bureaucracy. It's strange. It's nothing like you would expect at all. But it brings me to the one thing I liked about it. Um, the one thing I truly liked about it is I loved the art direction and the sets. Everything everything does feel fake in the sense of this... Uh, this is obviously someone aping that sort of art deco style. Something that, like if uh, you loved the Bioshock games, it, it, it felt like it was out of the Bioshock games as well. Um, I really enjoyed a lot of the costumes and the sets and this, I think they successfully evoked this really strange, like this, this is a giant bureaucracy that exists in between time and worlds, right? Um, 
which you learned in the first episode. So there's your spoiler. Um, anybody who even thought they might want to see this has seen it already. That's one of the things I really liked about it. I liked the way they presented that and and made it like, well, if if there were a group of people that lived in between worlds or in between times and ran a ran a bureaucracy that tried to manage the timeline that's that's one this is one way it could look it could look like this it might look like um george orwell's 1984 uh in the marvel universe i really liked that what's the one thing that you really liked the most about it i thought the loki character was great I liked watching him do what he did. I enjoyed watching Tom Hiddleston play him. Uh, then again, I've always enjoyed watching Tom Hiddleston play Loki. Um, it's kind of tortured, kind of tormented, you know, god of chaos, god of mischief, or chaotic god of mischief. Um, he's simultaneously funny and yet at the same time you'll notice every single time loki laughs he's in pain his smile is always a grimace and he's always hurting every time he laughs it's never a completely genuine laughter a completely genuine smile um i just like how he plays loki it's fun to watch well he's certainly one of the best parts of the mcu movies and i think he uh i mean he's the main draw here like we're uh, we know the character died in avengers endgame let's let's get more of that um and in in doing it as a series like this is I think is the right way to do it, unlike the the Black Widow movie, which just flopped. Of course, that was about a character that nobody cares about, but that's neither here nor there. And and they they set off on that movie with the wrong Yeah wrong idea of what they needed to make that movie be in order to make Black Widow shine in the movie they didn't realize what they were doing they didn't know what they were doing so yeah i tom Hiddleston as loki was a lot of fun um owen wilson i wasn't expecting that that casting that was a lot of fun um i'll be frank i didn't like the rest of the cast um but that probably has more to do with the writing and direction than anything else. Uh, the, the basic story idea was kind of interesting. The idea is, and, and this is what, uh, this is spoiler territory, cover your ears if you care. The idea is, is that in all possible timelines, one of the most notorious 
one of the one of the people most notorious for causing trouble and creating new timelines is Loki. That's a great idea. When you think about it, you go, "Of course it's Loki. Of course naturally. he's gonna he's he's naturally gonna do something chaotic, you know, and and you unpredictable and just mess up the timeline." Love it. Uh, Without even realizing that's what he's doing. Right. Just because uh, of who he is. Because of who he is. Um, great idea. A great idea. What they did with it, yeah, I don't... It was it was entertaining to watch, and I really wanted to see the story through the end, so that was cool. I think the nuts and bolts writing um, was really poor. Um, they had too, they had too much exposition to do in the first place. They did that okay. Um, the dialogue was uh, painful. Um, I think I think Mobius is the um, Agent Mobius, played by Owen Wilson, is the only one who has dialogue that seems consistent with the character. Um, him and him and Loki. Everybody else seems to just sort of. N- Need, is what the story needs them to be at that time. Um, I, I really didn't like the other characters in, in the story. Um, but I loved the effects. I loved I loved all the practical sets and costumes. And uh, if they used a lot of green screen, I, I couldn't tell. I'd be surprised if it was all green screen. Um, aside from the obvious green screen in the last couple of episodes, which was pretty bad. Everything was good. Yeah, it, it kind of felt uh, the stuff in the last couple of episodes were a little bit rushed. Mm-hmm. Yep, and the, you know, the revelation of who's behind all the, um, you know, the whole multiverse business. Uh, of course, uh, that, that, uh, that is revealed at the end, and that was a little underwhelming. Although, you know, the actor had a good time doing it, and it was kind of entertaining. It was entertaining in a lighthearted Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of way. Probably needed a little more gravitas, but you're not going to get that in this kind of show. So, <laughs> there you go. One of the things I've been continually just shocked by is how big of a budget Disney has put into these uh, Marvel streaming series. Uh, it's incredible. I, yeah, I mean, seriously, they this show. Then there's been the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. There's been um, WandaVision. Um, I think they were the first ones. Or was there one before WandaVision? I can't remember, to be honest. But still, they have put just monumental amount of... Either they put a monumental amount of money that's visible on the screen, or they've almost put a monumental amount of money that the people making them know how to make it look like a monumental amount of money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point... At this point you know, computer generated art and green screen stuff is kind of 
dime a dozen these days. Um, it, they, they don't carry the same impact that they did years ago, but just to get these actors in for so many hours of recording, like this is serious money and the yeah. practical effects, serious money. Um, there were, there were what I would call big flaws in the production, but it was still a production I could enjoy. And by flaws, I don't mean like lethal flaws. They're just things that I would have liked to see go another way. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but the actress for Sylvie bugged me. Mm -hmm. I just wanted somebody different in that role. Did you? I, yeah. She, I... I uh, maybe maybe it was her maybe I, I i think it was the writing the nuts and bolts writing like i said before it was really really um as much as i enjoyed everything that was going on and i wanted to see the story to the end and i basically wanted just one more hour of owen wilson and tom hiddleston palling around <laughs> in different time periods um it, it yeah i just i i cringed at almost every dialogue scene that wasn't the two of them. Um, so that was my big problem with it. Um, they had a huge development that was dropped right in right after episode four. Uh, when one of the Lokis sets off their trap and all the alarms start going off and everything basically hits the wall back at base. And you would expect that it's something that everybody would, it'd be all hands on deck. They'd have to send out all the teams to deploy all of their resources and devices to fix. And yet the next episode picks up and they don't even deal with it. I'm just wondering what the hell happened there. Um, and you know what I'm talking about in the store? Yeah. 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 Um, it just like vanished from the series. That just left me confused. Um, right. I, the, because the, the, uh, the, the, the event had an effect and, but that the effect was not its purpose. The effect was to, to create. So, I mean, it's Loki, it's, it's a diversion. Yeah. And so, so they, they deal with the immediate consequences of the diversion or, or what, what, what the diversion was meant to cover, but they never go back and address the diversion. Like yeah. that diversion was crazy. Yeah. And, and they just for, forgot it happened. Oh no, actually guys, we got two episodes left. So uh, we're just going to keep going. Forget that happened. Yeah. I mean, seriously, it, it was almost like causing nine one nine eleven as a diversion for something else. I mean, yeah. Okay, that's a hell of a diversion, but they still need to deal with the 9-11 event. Right. right. That's not a small thing. Yeah. And we just kind of ignore that and go on. So, I mean, even a throwaway line of dialogue 
if we're focusing on characters who aren't dealing with it, like, you know, damn you, I've had to throw everybody else at this problem and do you know how much damage you've caused or whatever, just to make it clear, okay, yes, this caused a real big problem and everybody's been running around dealing with this now. That would have been maybe not satisfactory, but at least it would have been a nod to the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have felt better with at least a nod to the situation. Um, I felt that was a big flaw. There were other things I really liked. I really liked the fact that because Loki is a being who creates all this chaos and creates all these problems for the timeline, there were so many different Lokis who kept on popping up. I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) All the different Lokis was hilarious. And if you do watch the show, folks, just be on the lookout for, for all the different Lokis who show up because it just, it's ridiculous in a great way, in a good way. And I, <laughs> it was highly entertaining. Um, so there are a lot of solid and entertaining bits in the show. There are some big flaws. And I get why people were irritated by the character of Sylvie because they felt like she was overshadowing Loki himself. But let's and, let's not put too fine a point on it. As much ahead. as I wanted to see the story play out and as much as I enjoyed the interaction between the two putative lead characters, she was the protagonist. She drove all the action, and Loki was a bystander. And that is the worst thing about this. Not the stupid woke casting, not the awful um, freshman college writer's workshop dialogue, um, not whatever other woke BS. It wasn't about that Loki. That's why people don't like her. It's not the actress. It's not the. It's not the dialogue. It's because the story was about her, and not the no, the Loki that we know and love. I think those complaints are well founded. As much as I did enjoy watching it, that was the one thing that stuck in my head, especially in the second half of the series. You know, the last two episodes, I I couldn't get over how. Loki's just a viewpoint character, mostly. I didn't like that because I think we all wanted to see Loki figure it out and do stuff. Um, and he didn't. Um, and spoilers, uh, the uh, because of the nature of time, Loki ends up at square zero, so... Uh, if you're looking for a satisfactory resolution, you won't find it. I didn't mean to get all negative because I really enjoyed it. 
but I, uh, and narrative, narratively speaking, the uh, ending, they start back at square one or square zero, as it were. So I guess the good news is that they're probably going to make more. Uh, yeah, actually, if you watch the ending episode through all the way to the end, past the credits, uh, they had an announcement that the Loki will return in season two. Sure. Well, and they might as well because nothing he did in season one really mattered. Wow, except... you got down to real quick. Wow. Oh, except, you know, his personal growth as a character, which, as you said earlier, is one of the joys of the show, and I agree. Uh, it was nice. It's nice seeing Loki come face-to-face -face with the consequences of his actions or the consequences of his potential actions through the eyes of other Lokis. And, uh, you know, think about how he wants to interact in a world that he's not a demigod of. So there's that. I didn't say it was all bad. I'm just saying that the people, the what the the stuff that people have been complaining about that I've inferred from this conversation, they're absolutely right about. Um, again, no pun intended, but yeah, they do steal quite a lot of Loki's thunder. Uh, <laughs> that really was not meant to be a joke, but yes, it is true. You did. You did good. Well, I mean, they they basically they did have to wharf him in the first episode, right? They they yeah. have to be like like okay, let's let's have him let's have him look like a chump right away, just so that you know that he's not going to be able to just magic and knife his way out of this. Granted, uh, but then the rest of the show, it's like, all right, we, I'd, I'd like to see Loki do cool stuff now, please. Yeah, because that's what Loki does. Is is cool stuff. And that's part of what his charm is, is he can and gets to do the cool stuff. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like Loki. Um, and depending on how aggravating you find the flaws, you may or may not like it. I would, there are people I know I wouldn't recommend it to. Um, <laughs> just because I know that the flaws would aggravate them, but I really enjoyed it. I would give it a recommend just if you wouldn't find those flaws too aggravating. I like and I'll say, and I'll say if you have Disney plus, you probably have already tried it. Um, as usual with these recommendations, just, this is a blanket statement for all recommendations. I do not recommend you ever subscribe to any streaming service for any reason whatsoever. However, uh, in this case, that specifically applies. It's not worth subscribing to Disney Plus for. But you'll know by the end of the first episode whether you'll like it. Because like me, I was I was doing it uh, as a, an activity with someone I cared for. And uh, so it was a social thing. And also, I really enjoyed, like I said, those two uh, main actors. And I enjoyed the set and the idea so much that I was happy to sit through and see where it went. And I knew that I could swallow all the ridiculous writing. You'll know by the end of the first episode whether the rest of it's uh, going to entertain you. 
You know, if if uh, if like next time we really are going to talk about uh, Battlestar Galactica 2004, we ought to see if Brian can come on and talk about it with us. What a great idea. Because I think he's already seen that. So he doesn't have to, you know, watch any of the new movies coming out. So, well, we'll, yeah. we'll I'll, I'll put in a message with him. See if he'd like to do that. Uh, and I also watched The Expanse, so that'd be kind of a theme, too. Deep, Deep Space. Oh, we lost the war pig. Well, I have no practice doing the outro here. But yeah, I think next week we're going to talk about Battlestar Galactica, The Expanse, whatever else comes up. Doubtless the internet's going to provide us with some fun and or aggravating thing to talk about in the world of gaming. One yes, last I'm plug. Here. You're here. I was going to say one last plug. I'm going to plug a friend's channel. He, he, he didn't ask me. He didn't, didn't owe me nothing. I just caught up on the la latest episode of The Joy of Wargaming. That's a friend of the show, John Mollison. He's been on a few times. He's he's upping his YouTube video game. Uh, and so it's uh, it's a really good show. And I, I watch all his episodes on RPGs. They're great. Um, and I highly recommend that. So that was just a random plug while I was filling in time dw i'm uh, i'm done for the week what about you oh yeah we should be done we're we're well well past time we should have been done i think we're way on time i i will uh pause for a minute uh we didn't get to everybody in chat but i'm so glad you guys made it it was fun chatting about all this other stuff um ardenon studio seconds the joy of wargaming plug um hey judd rawls here and a bunch of other people um Awesome to have you guys around. I really appreciate that. And hope everybody listening later enjoyed all the discussion. And Daddy Warpig, as always, thanks for uh, doing this together. It's been a few years now, and I look forward to it still every Saturday. Um, if I could plug a channel, I'll go ahead and plug the Critical Drinker channel, which I'm sure most of the audience has uh, encountered. But uh, he's great. Uh, he's fun. He does some uh, wonderful... Uh, if vulgar, be warned, um, movie reviews. And I haven't watched his uh, Tomorrow War review, but I'm going to do it right after the show. I didn't want to taint myself with his opinion. I wanted to give you my opinion, um, which is, again, a recommend. It's a fun movie. And uh, uh, go watch some of the Critical Drinkers. You'll know if you watch one whether or not you're going to like any of the others. Go watch his uh, Tomorrow War review or whatever. Um, and as soon as you watch one of them, you'll know if you like any of the rest. It's a fun channel. I would recommend it. So that's my recommend for uh, YouTube channels today. All right. Folks, I want to thank everyone who came in and listened live to the show, who jumped in and participated in chat. We've had a lively and interesting discussion in chat, as is usually the case with such awesome and amazing people, and I do not buy and I do not exaggerate, with such awesome and amazing people who are part of our audience. I also want to thank everyone who will listen later. You can catch this show on youtube.com slash geekgab. Once again, that's youtube.com slash geekgab. You can also listen to us on 
the SoundCloud.com, the Google Play Store, and the iTunes Store. Just do a search for Geek Gab, download the podcast, and listen to it on the device of your choice. We are your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are signing out for today, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.